Welcome to today's episode of the Doing Good Podcast with Michelle Nicholson. She's a survivor and thriver of human trafficking. Despite having multiple personalities as a result of her experiences, she shines a bright light toward helping others in the future. Hey, Michelle. Hey, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) So if you could please introduce yourself. Michelle, and let us know how you volunteer today and a little bit about your passion of volunteering. I would like to get into your story and your history and what led up to that in a minute. But if we can focus on your volunteerism right now and just share that as to not only what it is, but what keeps you going. Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle, and I uh, volunteer for Nashville's Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition, NAHT, as well as Magdalen City Group from Christ Presbyterian Church. I enjoy those two organizations so much. It's very hard for me to extrapolate on the feeling of joy that I get from being able to work with those women. And who is it that you're serving? I'm serving addicted women who have been humanly trafficked and prostituted. I was one of those victims, and I'm now a survivor today. Due to Magdalene Thistle Farms residential program of two years. And that just brings chills to my body because they offered me so much. I went straight in to becoming a full-fledged member of Christ Presbyterian Church so I could get on the Magdalene City Group Committee and serve back to Magdalene Women. Um, As far as NAHT is concerned, National Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition, there's a lady in there by the name of Mary Trapnell. Okay, she's the co-founder of it. She used to come to the Bible studies at Magdalene. So that's how I got involved with NAHT, is I become not a client, but a member of NAHT because it's human trafficking center. You don't have to have addiction. You don't have to have anything else just be humanly trafficked, okay? And that's how you can become a participant of NAHT. Well, would you mind sharing a little bit now about your trafficking experience and like what, how did that happen and how long were you trafficked and how did you get out? You know, the definition of human trafficking today includes prostitution. So even if you prostitute, you're humanly trafficked. Like if you just choose to do it yourself, then... If you're choosing to do it yourself, I'm not sure if they're considering that human trafficking. Okay. I'm not too sure. I'm not up to par on that. But what (laughs) I do know is that if you have a pimp who is beating you and torturing you and bondaging you or... Any of those, anything that's coercion, manipulation, force, or fraud, and you do a sexual commercial sex act, that is human trafficking. And I definitely fit in that circle. When I was 16 years old, my behavior was so erratic, okay, from molestation and a date rape that I never talked to my father about because I knew that he would either not believe me and think I just went out and had sex on my own, 
because I was already drinking and I was already drugging. Okay. I don't know if he knew that per se. I think he suspected it. So anyhow, at 16 years old, my dad gave me an ultimatum. It's our way or the highway. But I mean, that, that's not how he said it, but that's how, that's what it meant. You know, you're either going to comply, you know, or you got to go. So I said, well, I'm going to go. Because I felt that the abuse that I was receiving at home was just as bad as the molestation and the date rape. Because it was. So I left. And I've never been back. So at 16 years old, being a, should I say, sheltered person, even though I knew about drugs and alcohol, even though I had been molested and I had been date raped, I was very sheltered about what the street life was. Because my drug use and my alcoholism took place in houses of friends, you know, so-called acquaintances. And that's where these things happened at. But I got out of the street and first run to a friend, okay, and whose brothers exploited me. And the next thing I did was get a job, thinking if I got a job, I could pay rent and I wouldn't be exploited. So that didn't work. So I left that place and I went and just slept underneath trees, bridges, and I'd clean up in the bathroom and I'd go to work. Then I ran into this couple. That wasn't a good decision on my part. They were older than I were. They were able to coerce me and force me into doing things that I didn't want to do. So I had a history of this, okay? Then I thought this guy loved me, you know? And so on and on and on. Until one day, I had a gun in my face, and I had duct tape around me, and I was in the back of a car. And I thought it was a joke because it was the family members of my boyfriend. My boyfriend had ran over their uncle, stole the briefcase, had family jewels in it, and a bunch of cash and some drugs. So they held me and him responsible for that, okay? So when I was released out of the car, I was just thrown on the ground and was being kicked and beat and came the rest. How I got out of that is by obedience. And so then how long were you, I'll say, trafficked? I started my way out three different times, okay? Once you're human trafficked, you're either in love with your trafficker or there's such an emotional attachment to your trafficker that you have a tendency to say, okay, I want out of this life. So you, you walk out of it. You're out on the stroll, you know, and, and you get with some guy and y'all go somewhere or whatever, and then you just walk out of it. And then you go to the treatment, you get sober, and then it's like, now what? So that's why now what would bring me to right back to my trafficker because it was a place where I knew I could get food. It was a place where I knew I would be housed. You know, my survival needs would have been met. I would still be trafficked. And that was my problem. I didn't want to walk the street for money. I didn't have any other skills. So my problem was is I'd wind up right back where I began every time. Now, these guys that took me, they took me somewhere that I had no idea where I was, okay? So I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't see. I couldn't speak. Nothing. It was a very horrible experience. Anyhow, I gained their trust. They released the bondage. One day, they just partied themselves into oblivion, and I was laying there, and I was like, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And the only thing my brain could think of was get up, me show. Get up. 
Yes. Crawl out of here. Do something. Yes. So that is what I did. And that is how I got away. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, I see you holding onto your wrist. Because, yeah. and, and you were mentioning about the bondage earlier. Oh, yeah. My what? wrists, my feet, and they, they would tie me down, and they would torture me. They had a, a little cage for me that they would put me in while I was naked, and they would do all kinds of things to me, and I just, all I could do was weep. And if I wept, it got worse. So then I learned not to cry. Then I learned not to feel. Just let it be. Just let them do what they're going to do, Michelle. Be submissive. Let them do what they're going to do because you can't get out of here unless you do. There's no way of escape. There's no way of anything while you're tied down and put in a cage. No. No. Yes. You were in your, you were, what, in your 20s at this point? No, I was uh, almost 19. And two, one thing that I find amazing is and not in a good way is that this is not happening well first of all this is happening to you a real person who if we weren't in the middle of covid we could all touch hug love you're right there right was this in the united states yes that's the thing that just shocks me because it feels like a story like that should be somewhere distant somewhere far only in your imagination it's like well, it's I didn't not know where real I was until I got out of there I had no clue that I was still in the United States oh because the drive was so long I thought I was down somewhere in Mexico but I knew that I never left the trunk of the car wow so it had to be drivable Right. No, that makes sense. That's smart for you to put that together. No, you know how, no matter how many times they shove my face into the dope, no matter how many times they shove liquor down my throat, no matter how many times they did the beatings and the sexual torture and then people coming and going, getting sex acts. And it was, it felt like forever in there. Sure. And a minute ago, you started to talk about your journey with obedience. Yes, and I, that's what I did. I started to just submit myself to these men. Like I would have conversations because they'd had one guy that could speak English. The rest of them spoke Spanish or Cuban because that boyfriend was Cuban and his family was Cuban. And I had no idea the other men were saying unless the interpreter, interpreter? would tell me. There was an interpreter? Honestly, Michelle, you look normal. You sound normal. You come across healthy as anyone ever could. And frankly, the idea that you yourself could have gone through any portion of this is beyond me, much less gone through all of it and gotten yourself out. So would you tell us a little bit about how you actually got out and then maybe what led you to Thistle Farms? Yes, I actually got out with a sheet wrapped around my body. I didn't have any clothes on. Why would I have clothes on? I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything with me. The only way that I could get out was to walk out. And I had to wait until there was that opportune moment. And when that opportune moment arose, I don't know if it was the drugs, the alcohol, or just the simple fact that I was just weak. 
but I had to literally convince myself that this is your chance to do something right now, Michelle. You can walk out of here. And that's what I did. I got up and I walked out of that room and nobody heard me, came after me, nothing. And I don't know how long I have walked before an 18-wheeler pulled by, by my side. No cars, no nothing on this highway. It seemed like I was never going to get out of there because I didn't know my way out of there. And um, he gave me a ride to New Orleans. He wanted to call an ambulance. He wanted to call the police, and I was petrified of that. I was petrified if he called an ambulance and the police. Then that would just bring more repercussion on me. Then men would come looking for me again. I was petrified of that. I was petrified to even put myself back out in a position where they could see me. So I, you know, I isolated for a long time um, at my friend's house in New Orleans when the truck driver brought me to her house. And she just busted out crying. She thought I was dead, overdosed from drugs, killed by somebody. Because of the life that I went on with my life, and that wasn't very much of a life because the only thing I thought I was good for was what they taught me. I mean, I did try to hold jobs, but I didn't know how to deal with the public, and I, I didn't know how to socialize appropriately. I was a very inappropriate person, so I went back to prostituting. And I went back to prostituting myself, and I just stayed hooked on drugs until I met my husband who more or less rescued me from the streets. But there was a problem with that. I mean, I married him because I loved him, mm. but I didn't know how to show him that I loved him. Oh. Years went by with this erratic behavior of mine, these behavioral problems, him crying, trying to figure out what he could do to help me, therapy, marriage counseling. It just went on and on and on. And I just left him. I told him, you can have everything. I don't want anything. I'm going to leave with what I came with. I want you to go on with your life. I want you to find a woman that can treat you as good as you deserve. And I just walked out. And he just stood there going, Michelle, what's wrong with you? You know, you everything's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. All I do is make you cry and all you do is make me laugh. He followed me around the street to make sure nobody would hurt me. He watched me do all those things and he still loved me unconditionally. So I got busted for drugs at the age of 30. They gave me probation for two years and I went to a halfway house and I stayed there for eight, nine months. And then the judge let me live with Henry. And so I found a job at a service line call, like the call centers. Did that for a little while. Plus, I continued to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meeting. So I lasted about four years and eight months before I decided that a drink would be good. I ate it with dinner, but that drink snowballed. And a few months later, I was right back out in the street. Henry was right back with me, making sure that nobody bothered me. I divorced Henry in 1997 in sobriety, but I still lived with him. Henry was my best friend. He was everything to me. He was like God about this Bible stories or stuff like that that my grandmother would talk about. But like there was no Bible in my house at home with my family, my, my dad and my stepmom and all that. I never saw a Bible in there. If there was one, I, I don't know. Um, we never talked about church. We never went to church. So Henry was like my rock of Gibraltar. 
Well, I got sober again after, you know, that four years and five months, I went to truck driving school, drove 18 wheeler, which was really good for me because I didn't have a boss hanging over my head all the time. Um, I love to drive. I love the adventure of being out on the road and being, you know, like my own little entrepreneur. Anyhow, I had a boyfriend and I wound up pregnant with my daughter. So right now we're at the age of 37. Okay, so I did have a period where I used before I went to truck driving school. I had a couple of years, like a year and a half I used before I went to truck driving school. That would have been the age of 35 to 36 and a half or something like that. So anyhow, I got pregnant with, she was born, you know, nine months later, and I was on medical leave and my company did a layoff. And they laid me off because I was one of the earliest newer drivers, you know, for their company. I said, well, I've got all this medical leave pay coming and vacation days and, you know, all this compensation is coming my way. So, you know, I can handle it for six months. Well, I couldn't handle it for six months. I couldn't pay for my medications because I didn't have insurance. I couldn't pay for, you know, I have bipolar disorder, PTSD anxiety disorders, depression, all this stuff going on with me. And when you're off your meds, you self-medicate. So back on the drugs I went. So I wound up having to let my rock and Gibraltar, Henry, have my baby because I couldn't take care of her anymore. I didn't have a desire to take care of her anymore because I was so hooked on drugs. I started bringing her with me, just a baby, bringing a baby into a crack house. And she's just breathing all that stuff in. And finally, I said, I cannot do this to my child. Gotta bring her somewhere where she's safe. So I brought her to Henry. Then my dad came three months later and he wound up with her. End of being that three months, I wound up back in jail for vagrancy or something simple charge. And they let me out nine days later. And I went to my dad's house and I asked for my daughter. The bad thing about it is, is that you think I would have learned by now that you can't have a child and raise a child while you're on drugs. You just don't do that. And I had drugs on me and I'm going to pick up my child now, you know, we're going to go on with our life. Well, God did a good thing, did in there. That child pushed on me and didn't want anything to do with me. And my brain said, Michelle, you can't do this. You can't take this child out of this house and try to give her what your dad and your stepmom can do for her. You can't do it. You're not capable of doing it. So I left my daughter with my dad and his wife. That was such an act of love. And you knew what you were doing too, it sounded. So I think it sounded to me as if you made the best decision possible. Well, at that time, I didn't think about it like that. I thought about myself as being the worst mother in the world, all these things. You're really messed up about this point in your life. You're 38 years old and all you've done is human trafficking, a little bit of some good work, you know, a period here and there, but you can't hold a good job. Even though I graduated from high school, I didn't get a GED, I graduated. I'm not putting down anybody that gets a GED. What I'm saying is, is that through this, I did complete high school. Anybody that completes anything, even if it's a GED, is that's great for them. And it shows your commitment and it shows your smarts, being able to handle all of these things. How was your mental health during all of this? There's no doubt in my mind of the love that you had for your daughter and how smart you were to take care of yourself the way that you did as best as you could. But so how was your mental health? It was diminished. It really was bad. I was way down in a dumps one day, 
way up high, manic, thinking that I'm superwoman the next day. Put me around a bunch of people, and I just had to, I had to leave the room. The room was full of people. I would get scared instantly and start having panic attacks, thinking something's going to happen to me. I had to get away from it. Put me with one person, and I felt safe. Put me in a room with a bunch of people with a lot of noise, and I become a maniac. I would leave. I would just go off by myself in the middle of the night anywhere. I didn't care. It was better than me feeling like I was going to be attacked all the time. You know what I'm saying? Actually. And, um, that's always a really scary thing for me is feeling, because I've been mugged. I've had my purse stolen so many times I can't remember, uh, you know, beat up for my money that I made while I was prostituting, et cetera. You know, just all kind of different things happening. Criminal activity towards me, you know, because I'm vulnerable. But I coped with it. I just kept going. I don't know what kept me going. You know, back then, I don't know what kept me going. Today, I know what kept me going. And that is? God did for me back then what I could not do for myself, and that was give me the ability to continue putting one foot in front of the other. He had something for me. It was I, I learned and went through all of that for some good reason, and that is so I can do what I do today, so that I can be there for the next woman that's coming back in, okay? Well, my plans for the future is to finish out my degree. I'm doing bachelor of science for social work right now, and I plan on going and getting my master's. So uh, it's going to take me a little while, but I'm going to do it. I have somebody that's opened up an avenue for me to do internship at NAHT when I go into my master's. Fantastic. So that's going to be an awesome opening for me. I'll be around the women all the time. I'll learn how to do interventions. I'll learn, you know, it's gonna, I'm going to learn the ins and outs of that organization. I can't wait. Why? Why can't you wait? It's for me to grasp the whole of, put my claws in it, and just hang on and pray for these women and just let them know that I light a candle every day so that the next woman can become a survivor. Now, that comes from Thistle Farms Magdalene program. We light a candle every day at work. There's always a candle burning for the next woman to come in and become a survivor. And they keep coming. And it's such a glorious thing to watch these women walk through the door at the Magnum Residential Program that I graduated from. And I need to talk about that for a second. When I finally had enough of the human trafficking back in July 23rd of 2016, is the day I tried to commit suicide. And it didn't work. I wound up in a mental health facility. For nine days, I was unresponsive. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to eat. didn't want to do anything. They were getting ready to send me to a state institution. And something told me, laying in that bed, you are worthy. Get up. So these are all the opportunities that God kept saying, get up, Michelle. Keep going, you know. Well, anyhow, I got sober. And I was living in this halfway house that was just taking all my money and not teaching me anything. So I had all these issues keep coming up for me and I, I was having problems coping with them so I called Magdalene House and about a month and a half later they called me they had a bed 
So I came up here to Nashville with everything that I owned. My daddy paid for the ticket, came here. I've been here ever since. That program offered me so much. And it even helped me with this special problem that I have that was created due to the molestations and the date rape and the things that happened to me as a young child. It's called DID, Associative Identity Disorder. Unlike schizophrenia, it does have personalities, but it's not schizophrenia. Those personalities is what took on all the trauma. I might know about the trauma, but they hold the pain of the trauma. So I go to a specialist and we work through the trauma. I incurred trauma, they incurred trauma, and that's what I do. I see a specialist and I've been seeing that specialist now for about three years. And it sounds to me like this DID is something that you unintentionally or unconsciously develop to handle and to respond to and live through the trauma that you were dealing with at the time. So it sounds to me like it's been going on for years. Yes. And then all this other stuff you were going through at the time, you were also dealing with these multiple personalities. That's correct. And I didn't even, I would, I would wake up in Texas and not know how I got there because of my personality. Yeah. But, and that shows your strength too. Another just internal strength that you have that I just have to laud, but it's such a little term in comparison to or for what you're talking about i mean it's just what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's so much better than an applaud having compassion for me but the yes. one thing i don't ever want anyone to do is pity what i went through because i went through it so i can help the other woman important for people to know that is what holds me together for the two years that I went through all that therapy, all of the groups and the communal communal living and therapy, just getting myself back to where I can sit here and be able to talk to you about this was Magdalene program. That's a two-year program that I suggest to any woman in the street. What were some core, I'll say, characteristics touched you hopefully in a positive way like even though it might have been difficult to receive you know what I'm thinking is that along the line you experienced love in different ways and now how you're living that love out is by going back to school taking care of yourself and then you can take care of other people you know, from my dad, I, I, I gained provision is what I gained from my dad. At that young age, he was a very good provider, and I respected that. It was his way of showing me that he loved me. And I didn't understand that. I thought he didn't like me at all. And so that was a problem that I had internally, and I didn't think he loved me, you know. And even my stepmom, all that I went through with her, all that she went through with me was only because of love. And I didn't understand that either. It may have been abusive, but I may have provoked some of it. As a teenager, I know I provoked some of it. As a child, I didn't provoke it. Um, another thing is, is my baby. I love that little girl, but I knew I couldn't take care of her. She would just lay there with me in the bed and she would just, she was so still and so, she just lay right next to me. And she was such the perfect little girl. She wasn't a crier. She wasn't any of those things. She didn't have colic. She didn't have, you know, I think her worst day was when she had a tooth when she was seething. You know what I mean? That's what my dad told me, is that, you know, she's seething. She doesn't feel like being with you right now, Michelle. And, then, you know, that's the reason he gave me for when she just kind of shunned me that day. 
and it was coming out in ugliness, you know, towards the people that love me. You know, and you hear that all the time. You hurt the ones who are closest to you. And the reason why is because they love you, you know? That's why it hurts them, because they care about you. And if they didn't care about you, it wouldn't hurt them, you know? So those are some of the core things. I mean... Well, and that's really helpful. And what I'm hearing is the power of love throughout your life, through people who knew you extremely well, or even people who didn't know you well. And my guess is that even at Thistle Farms, as you were there, there were volunteers who were helping make that happen for you, even though you never might have seen them. So how, how can you encapsulate the power of love, having been the recipient of it like that, or maybe moving forward? Because I think a lot of people would find inspiration from you having been through your life and being able to continue that love by passing it on to others well we haven't talked about my walk with christ Uh, if that's okay can i say something about that in conjunction with your question once i graduated as i said before i wanted to be a member of christ presbyterian church now when i got into magdalene i was not the one to mess with that and that's the truth People even shared that with me, that I was really was a bitter, angry woman when I got, and I didn't know whether I was coming or going. And those Christ Presbyterian women loved me and loved me and loved me, and I didn't understand what they were loving. But I had more hugs, kisses, and love, you know, and I didn't want to tell them when they get off of me, don't touch me. Really, it was hard for me to let them hug me, hard for them to let them kiss me on my cheek or on my head. All of that was very hard, because I wouldn't let the sisters in the program touch me at all. I would not. They could not hug me. I would not. They could not hug me or touch me without my permission. It invoked PTSD in me. How I encapsulate that love, Christ loves everybody. He loves you. It doesn't mean that he agrees with you. He loves you. In my book, that's the way I see it, okay? That's a great way to put it. Um, it sounds like those, like, potentially small or seemingly small um, acts of love, frankly, make the big difference, you know? And, And my thought too is that people, when, like I have never experienced a portion of what you're talking about, a percentage of what you've gone through. So I'm thinking if I want to serve you or others like you, moving forward, right? What's the best way for me to do that? Is it to wait for that phone to ring from somebody I don't know? Or should I get involved if so, how or where? Or like in general, because I know this podcast is going out to areas beyond Nashville and Davidson County. So what would you suggest for somebody like me to be able to serve the population you're wanting to serve through the rest of your life and your career? You know, a lot of networks work on donations, and a lot of places are on the web, and they do have a donate spot where you can donate money. That's one way you can help them, because that money is appropriated for services that they are unable to receive. Another way that you can help is you can go on to website for NAHT. I think it's .org. You can go on there. It might be .com. 
and there's a spot that says learn how to be a volunteer. You can learn how to volunteer to help a humanly trafficked woman. And then there's a spot that's for volunteerism. You know, if you just check out the websites for thistlefarms.org and naht.com, that's who is the .com. They have instructions on there for what it is they're looking for to bring in the next woman. You know, those are the two organizations that I deal with. There's End Slavery, End, E-N-D, Slavery. You can look at that and you can help those women. That's a great organization as well. I just have never got into that organization yet at all. Maybe one day I will. You know, um, volunteering, volunteering, I can't say that enough. I know that people are like, oh, man, who wants to give up that money to those kind of women? Or, you know, I know there's people out there that think that way, but there's people out there also that don't think that way. And if you don't think that way, if you could donate whatever you can donate, your time, money, um, clothing, gifts, whatever, anything that these women just haven't had in so long, you have no idea how much it makes a difference in their lives to receive a gift at Christmas time, to receive a gift for their birthday, to get a new piece of clothing when they first come in. They're like, I mean, they're in awe. If I had more money, I'd give it away to them. I'd give it to, I'd give it to them. So I, since I don't have that, I, I'm, I'm giving my time. It doesn't have to be money, time, right. love, attention. Right. That goes so far. And I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us today and giving us just some limps into the history of you, how you somehow took all that happened to you for years. You were able to make it into the you that you are today to frankly benefit others in the future and that volunteering is somehow such a key piece in who you've become and how you're sharing yourself. No, I just can't thank you enough for sharing the history of who you are and how you became the woman you are today and the mother that you are today. and how you're able to have the love that you experience, be able to help you make great decisions today that'll impact others tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Doing Good Podcast. We are volunteers highlighting volunteers. Would you like to nominate someone to be featured on the podcast? If so, visit the Doing Good website at www.doinggood.tv. You are also welcome to follow us online at Doing Good TV on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube. And of course, listen to our newest Doing Good podcast episode each Wednesday as together we are celebrating those who do good.